you know, what I love about this field the most is that it is always changing and it's always, you know, different kinds of problems and kids and, you know, it just, um, even the day to day, you know, they, especially in the itinerant world, I mean, you're working, you know, one hour with a baby in a home and the next hour you're doing geometry with a high school. I mean, it's just, there's so much variety. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. There are only a handful of teacher preparation programs in the United States for teachers of students who are visually impaired and for orientation and mobility instructors. Texas Tech University is one of such programs in Texas and also offers a graduate certificate in deafblind education. Dr. Rona Pogren has been with TTU for many years and is well known in our field, hence the reason she'll be receiving the Corinne Kirshner Research Award at this year's AFB Leadership Conference. Her co-authors Shannon Darst and Michael Monroe will also be recognized. Although she's joining us by phone today, we're lucky to have her typically across the hall where she offices in our outreach department. Currently, I am a professor at Texas Tech University in the Department of Special Education, and I'm also the coordinator of the Teacher of Students with Visual Impairments program at Texas Tech. I have a long background, a long history. <laughs> it's over 49 years that I've been in this field already. Wow. So I've, I've been around a while and I've seen a lot, um, but I love this field. So I started out by almost um, by accident falling into the visual impairment field. I really didn't know anyone blind or visually impaired. And I was um, at the University of Texas at Austin and I, I didn't have a major <laughs> and my advisor was like, you need to pick a major because you're going to start wasting, you know, hours here pretty soon if you don't p- pick something. But I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So was what, cutting a, through a building there. Um, I cut through the education building. And it's kind of ironic because a, a sign was posted there that said volunteers needed at the Texas School for the Blind. Huh. And I just, I don't know, it caught my eye. And I just said, oh, that sounds like an interesting thing to do. And so I started, you know, this 20-year-old just started doing this uh, volunteer work. And I started with um, a concept. They used to have a concept development group with young kids. Hmm. And I started working with that um, in like a dorm after school. And then, um, and then I ended up tutoring a little boy from East Texas that I He's the one that like hooked me on this field and um, I would go help him because he was struggling in school and he, we just, you know, got to be buddies and everything. So it was great. And I, after that, just decided to check into how do you become one of these people that teach these <laughs> students? And, and then I met Dr. Natalie Barraga, who was my professor at UT. There I was, I majored in elementary and visual impairment, you know, education. And that's how I got my um, my visual impairment training. And I did my student teaching in the old elementary building. Anyway, so that's kind of how I started my career. And then I got my first job in Little Rock at the Arkansas School for the Blind mid-year. Oh. I graduated mid-year, yeah, in 1973. So I worked under Dr. Max Woolley, 
he hired me there for a first grade class and I worked there for about a year and a half. And then I got kind of interested in orientation mobility and I decided to go back to school and I ended up at Cal State LA in Los Angeles. And that's where I got my master's in my O&M. Then I stayed out in California for like 17 years and I, I worked as both a teacher of students with visual impairment and orientation mobility specialist and different school districts and contracting and all kinds of things out there. And and after I got my master's, I was like, I'm not going back to school again. Well, I'm back to school again. So, <laughs> something about school. I don't know. But I decided I wanted to get my PhD. And so I went to the University of Southern California. And I got my PhD in special ed with a, a minor in uh, educational administration from SC. And in the meantime, while I was going to school at night, every practically every night of the week, driving to the middle of, Aust- of uh, Los Angeles, and then I would you know, teach during the day. And, and then I moved into a staff development position kind of while I was still working on that with, with LA County Schools. I had a resource room with high school kids. I, I did itinerant work and I've kind of done every, you know, setting contract O&M with adults. And, and then when I finished that, I actually got a job as an assistant principal hmm. in a special ed program in um, Los Angeles County. I did that for, hmm, I think a little over a year and then I got a call about the, um, they needed a position at Cal State LA in the O&M program um, to, for a faculty position. And so I, I, I was there for six, six years, and then my son was born, and we decided we wanted to come back to Texas. Dr. Phil Hotland was superintendent at TSBVI then, so of course he and I were very, very good, good colleagues and friends from California. And he was thrilled that I came here a year after he did. He was so <laughs> excited. And and then, of course, he was like, can you help with this? Can you do this? Can you, you know, so he was always hiring me for consulting sure. and, and different things. And I, I, that's when I wrote the first TAPS with the TSBVI O&M staff. Um, he's the one that got me involved in that. And I would go a couple days a week up to school and work on that with the O&M team. And some of them are still there. Actually, <laughs> It's pretty amazing. And it used to be in the old days that um, actually they'd fly down and put on Saturday classes. That's how the Saturday classes got started. They would fly down from tech and go all over the state and do these like outreach training, you know, courses. And they took turns doing it. And that was how I kind of started my Saturday classes. I just picked up where they left off. So that's kind of the background. You have done a lot of uh, quite a variety in your 49 years in the field. Yes. That's that's awesome. I'm sure it gives you a great perspective into the when you're teaching, you know, if, you're, oh, if yeah. your students understand that. Right, it does. I mean, part of it is, you know, I, I'm from the, the Stone Ages and some of their young minds, but but I also, um, I have a lot of stories yeah. <laughs> when I teach and that I can tell them and I can remember the names of my students and, you know, I give all these great stories when in my lectures. And so that's always, that's always fun to do. I mean, I kind of think you need that experience base to be effective. And, and, and the other thing is just understanding systems. And I, I got involved back in California with um, Phil and I started um, the joint action committee, which is kind of like the first California AVID, but we were out there and we were actually the first coalition that came together. And, and it was in the eighties and it was a, a, early 80s it was a time where there was you know crises happening all over the place in the in the visual impairment field and and the government was cutting funds and threatening to get rid of 
you know, free matter for the blind and, and closing down, you know, the rehab uh, priorities of the um, uh, vendors and cafeteria owners. They were going to, you know, take that away. I mean, there was just all these things that were threatening to be cut. And so um, I was super involved. I got involved in advocacy. We passed a piece of legislation. That's how all that started out there. Why I have such a passion for advocacy. Well, let's talk a little bit about your program at Texas Tech. Some people don't know what kind of coursework is involved in becoming a TVI or an O&M. And, you know, you don't have to read your course catalog or anything. But maybe mm-hmm. maybe you can describe sort of the undertaking if somebody wanted to become certified and to work with our students. We actually have, you know, both uh, teacher students with visual impairments, which we're now calling TSVI program and orientation mobility O&M program. Um both at the certification level or at the master's level. So you can choose which path you want to do. The master's programs in special ed in those areas also include the certification courses. You just have a few extra courses you have to take. Almost all of our courses are offered online, although we do have um, some that are hybrid, meaning they have a weekend. Mm -hmm. We have um, three of our courses that are required weekend because they're just things you can't do very well online, such as the assistive technology weekend, the basic orientation mobility weekend, and then the, we have anatomy of the and functions of the eye weekend where they get to get more hands-on and, and learn how, how to do a, a functional vision evaluation, learning media assessment, that kind of thing. The orientation mobility program also requires uh, four and a half weeks in uh, Lubbock, and that's all in person because that's the blindfold cane classes. Um, but otherwise, you can, you know, most of our classes are asynchronous, meaning you can just you know, you have a schedule, but you got to follow it. You, you know, it's not like you have to meet on every, you know, Monday night or something. It's it's pretty um, flexible because most of our people are already either teachers or other professionals mm-hmm. throwing in. And so, you know, they have full lives. They work all day and they a lot of them have families and kids and, you know, just a lot. And then, you know, to take classes and, and be locked into a schedule we found is not as quite as effective. Um, it, it just gives an alternate model um, yeah. for people that need that flexibility. There's four classes that overlap both programs, the anatomy and functions of the visual system. It's what we call the I course, or the basic orientation mobility course, every, you know, both professionals take. We have a multiple impairment strategies course that they all take. And we have a foundation course called programs and services um, for individuals with visual impairments. And that's one that they both groups take. And then beyond that, for the VI, they have to take a Braille course um, where they learn the Unified English Braille Code now and also get a short kind of a limited exposure to Nimeth Code. Then they take an instructional strategies class, which is kind of typically more focused on academic methods where the multiple impairment is those methods and strategies. And that's where the AT Weekend, System Technology Weekend, is included in that course, as well as they get, you know, how do you teach the expanded core curriculum? and all of the other adaptations you make for science and math. And it's a really packed course, but one where they get a lot of that strategy part. How do you teach Braille reading? You know, all of those things, literacy. Uh, In addition to those four common courses they take. And uh, orientation mobility intermediate seminar, which is an online seminar and an advanced seminar. And then they do their two classes in the summer with their cane classes. And then both programs have a 350-hour internship. And that kind of varies depending on, you know, what their situation is. And in VI, because so many of our, our students already get a job prior to getting their completing their certification in the districts, they get hired an emergency permit. And at TSBVI, they, 
you guys hire them while they're in the program. You know, that's how the majority of them do their internships with their own students in their caseload or their classroom. Mm -hmm. And um, it works out well because it really makes the coursework make more sense. Because if it's all in your head and you aren't really applying it or thinking about, you know, students that you have where this might make sense for it, it's just a lot. It's a lot of book knowledge without, you know, as much application. And then for O&M, they typically go somewhere you know, sometimes to TSPVI or Chris Cole, sometimes to the VAs around the area, sometimes to uh, private agencies. The Orientation Mobility Program places people where they can get that intense amount of service. Um, because in O&M, you can't start working until you're fully certified, meaning you have to complete your program and pass your um, O&M exam, which is a national exam. So that that's different than VI. Our, our students who are in the in the TSVI program also have to pass two exams at the state level, um, and every state is different. But the, for Texas, it's the Braille exam, um, and they take that as soon as – I encourage them to take that as soon as possible after the Braille course just because it's fresher on their mind. Um, and then the, they take a, a VI, visual impairment exam, which is kind of more of a content overall, you know, of what they learned in the program. And that's how they get certified in the state of Texas. Um, but like I said, you know, we have people, a lot of people from out of state and yeah. their criteria are different. Everyone is different. Now, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of the, the teachers in training are hired on emergency cert. And, um, you know, that's how I started was on an emergency cert. But but in the state I was working in, we didn't really have a robust mentoring program. So can you share a little bit about the mentoring opportunities for teachers in training in Texas? Yeah, we're, we're really lucky to have that. I'll tell you what. And it's, yeah. you know, through the TSBI outreach. But it's, you know, it's really wonderful because, you know, as a new itinerant, TSVI, um, you don't know what you're doing. You have no clue, especially when you haven't had all the courses. Sure. So it's just it's just great that um, the program that's offered through through outreach there. Every, anytime someone's hired actually on the job, then um, the mentor coordinator assigns preferably a nearby mentor, you know, in the same district or a nearby district. I know she has some that are statewide mentors because we have some people hired and they're like the only one in the whole rural region or something, you know. So then then in that case, she has to find a, a, somebody who travels to help that person. But the mentor program is so wonderful because when they have questions that come up before they're out there on their own, they can contact somebody um, before they're certified. And and even she, she allows them to be, have a mentor through their first year uh, after certification if they feel like they want it. And that really um, they can call about questions. They can have them review their reports, uh, help them, you know, make sure the language is correct um, they connect them to resources. So it's really wonderful because I, I think it would be really, I don't know how you did that because throwing out by yourself and, you know, not having somebody is, is kind of overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, so I know from the university's perspective, we work very closely with the mentor coordinator and it's just a great program. And then they also have mentor centers there, as you know, at TSBDI and, um, been having them three times a year and our students come um, and observe classes at TSPBI and for some of them that's just super valuable because they haven't you know seen a lot of variety of types of students we work with and and, um, strategies that your teachers use so that's always a real highlight to their training when they attend those. So yeah, it's it's a great program, and other states are extremely jealous about. 
<laughs> yeah, they, yes, I know they are. <laughs> yes, and and just just to know that I have my little finger in everything. Um, uh, Phil asked me. Phil Helen asked me. It's one of my consulting jobs. He he had me do a um, a needs assessment of the state um, in in the education of students with visual impairments, and I did a whole thing where I interviewed people on the phone and you know had focus groups and I tried to get a lot of feedback from different people in our field. And this was before there was a mentor program. And some of the things that came out of that actually came to fruit from that study to fruition um, through the years. And one of those was people thought we needed a mentor program. Hmm. Um, and the other one was we needed a, um, a staff development like coordinator so that nobody knew what other people were doing around the state. There was no mm. coordination. Everybody's just re- being redundant on the same things or not sharing their resources. This was before Zoom or anything like that, you know, yeah. or webinars. But just in general, like having somebody kind of coordinate that. And that was where that position came from in um, TSVBI's in outreach as well oh. was from that study. Now, you know, we talk about mentoring being a great opportunity for your students, but Texas Tech also offers a few grant opportunities, which are pretty great. So do you want to share a little bit about those? Well, we are very, very lucky and also everyone's jealous of our state grants that um, come through TSBDI because not very many states have that. And it's just wonderful because um, that's really what keeps our enrollment high, gets people who are thinking about it to do it. Um, we, so we pay for the, the students who apply for the, we call it, it Texas Tech, the Reach Across Texas grant. And, and Stephen F. Austin State University also has a comparable grant. So that there's two programs in Texas where in a lot of states there's no programs. Yeah. So it's really nice. And we and we have big programs, um, which is also different than my colleagues. You know, they might have 20 people total, you know, in a, a group or at any one time. And when I, you know, I tell them, well, I advise 100 people and Dr. Kevin Trilley advises 70 people. You know, it's like, what? I mean, they've never heard of such numbers. And so um, it's great. But I can say that that's, you know, very much in large part due to the, the state grant that we have through TSBBI that you guys get into your budget, which is amazing. So we have um, for that grant, people can at Texas Tech start three times a year. They can start in in spring, summer or fall and that we have deadlines. We have um uh, November 1st for spring and May 1st for summer consideration and June 1st for um, fall consideration. So we, you know, we have a pipeline of people at all different stages coming in all three semesters, which is really flexible and wonderful for, for people, <laughs> for the students. It's, it's uh, something that, you know, we have talked about forever. Like, how do we start more like a cohort, you know, and just take everybody at the same time. And then we wouldn't have to offer all the classes so many times a year and all those things that get complicated. So I I think, you know, as hard as it is on the faculty, I think it's probably um, a good model because Stephen F. Austin has a cohort model for the most part where everybody starts in the summer together and, and they get them through pretty quickly. The other thing that ours is a little more flexible on is, you know, everybody's situation is different. So, we don't make them take, you know, two courses a semester if that they can't handle that. Um, it meets different needs of different people. Um, and then in addition, we've been extremely lucky to have um, federal grants. We've had them and we've generally um, 
included Texas because we just want to include Texas <laughs> and because uh, we can always use more professionals here, right? Yeah. But we've also partnered with um, some other states. Um, you know, it's a great thing. I mean, those are always competitive. We, it's not something we can count on, you know, because when the five years are up, you got to, the year before, you got to reapply and hope you, you know, hope the budget has money for personnel prep and, um, and then the second part is you have to get the award and write a good grant. So we've, we feel very lucky in that we've gotten those, you know, that certainly helps us with our tuition and those grants we usually cover, not just tuition, but because we have such a 65% of those grants are required by the federal government to go straight to the students. For those, you know, we can pay for books and travel to the weekends and to conferences and things like that. So with, um, with yeah. the federal grants that you, um, help with other states do you when you write those grants do you include that you're going to be serving some of these more rural states does that help you get some of that oh, money yes. yeah absolutely yeah we write we but all of ours um in the, the last three rounds have been for rural remote areas yeah. which is a high priority um you know because a lot of those places have kids scattered everywhere with no personnel to serve them right yes yeah that's okay. always been a, a big priority and we ha- always have a focus like we had the current one we have is called Project Invite, and it's about neurological visual impairment because that's such a high mm-hmm. incidence population. And we so we kind of added a new course on that and included that in, in all through the, their courses. There's more on NVI slash CVI than, you know, we used to have in our we, – we always touched on it, but it wasn't a whole course about it. So now we have that. And, and one of the really cool things that, you know, we partner with you guys on collaborate on so many things and, you know, your outreach CVI team, you know, lets us use the videos and trainings mm-hmm. on, the, on the range. And that's that's in our course now. We piloted it for them. It's been great. I mean, so we, you know, so many things that that we do with the program, you guys partner with us. And I, I love that. I mean, I think it's, that's why it's so great that, you know, I'm in Austin and can do a lot of that kind of partnering. Well, it makes sense because it's sort of, uh, you know, we, the schools for the blind are a unique opportunity to see all the various um, students we serve, you know, it's a spectrum. There's a lot of different kinds of kids that we work with. And so it's nice to be able to provide that opportunity to teachers in training to come observe and work with our Mm -hmm. kids too. Yeah, no, it is. It's great. Well, speaking of uh, professional responsibilities, (laughs) so I know you recently rolled off the TAER board and you've worked extensively with other, um, with our professional journal, JVIB. You do a lot of uh, work that's sort of service kind of work in our field. So do you want to share a little bit about why it's important to stay engaged in professional organizations or through collaborative work, even when you might not be getting paid for it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I've had this conversation a lot with my students, but I, I don't know where I got this from. Somehow, when I first started in this field, you know, back in the 70s, um, I was like, I just thought you're supposed to join your professional organizations. <laughs> Somebody put that in my head somewhere. I, it wasn't something I you know, thought that I would never pay my dues for because that's just part of who you are. And I want to connect with network with other people in the field. And, you know, I did, I've done that from the very beginning. And I just it, it surprises me today how many people, especially younger people, don't see the need for that. And I think part of it was back in when that 
that was a way to, to have those um, professional connections and networking and to get continuing education. And I know that today that's, you know, there's so many, there's a million webinars and online things and, and et cetera, et cetera. But to me, there's nothing as great as a conference in our field, you know, with other professionals. And I, I think I've only missed one AER mm. conference like my whole life. <laughs> and but I was actually a member of AAWB mm. and AEVH in the old days before <laughs> there was an AER. Yeah. And I was around in 1984 when we had the monumental conference in uh, Nashville where we merged, you know, we had, we called it the Alliance at the time and yeah. before it had its name and, and it was great. I mean, I, but I've always belonged and I've always thought not only do I want to just belong, but I want to be involved in my professional mm-hmm. um, organizations. And um, so I do think it's important, um, you know, because I, I, I also try to talk about how important it is to support these organizations for the advocacy that they do yeah. because um, you know, I'm such a believer in in make trying to make a difference in policy and laws and all of those kinds of things. But but I also talk to my my teacher candidates about how important it is just to do advocacy at any level. And everybody can't do, you know, pass a bill. I mean, that's that's big. That's that's huge level. But there's also, um, you know, just paying your dues so that other people can do the work if you can't at this time in your life, do it, but then, you know, start to get involved, get on a committee, help for the conference, do something, you know, because, um, I just, I don't know. I, I get a lot of joy from it, but I, it's also a lot of work. I tell you that. (laughs) Um, but you know, it just is, um, it feels like part of professional responsibility, not just to live in a vacuum and do your little teaching job, Mm -hmm. but to know the bigger, the bigger world out there and how all those decisions that are made, um, and the new, you know, new technology, all of those things actually that you can learn through an organization and that the organizations do, such as AER or CEC, DVIB or whatever, um, they um, impact you in the classroom or you with the student you're with because it get impacts your funding and it impacts your, um, you know, the, the laws and the rules that you have to follow that are, you know, hopefully to benefit your students. But if you're just in a little bubble of I come in every day and I work with my X number of students and then I go home and I don't, I don't read journals. I don't go to conferences. I don't, I mean, you're kind of not getting the most out of this field because there's a lot out there. So I, I just think it's so incredibly important that, you know, professionals, whatever age, young or older, whatever, what I always try to say is if you can do something, yeah. You know, help a little bit. It'd be nice to have some other other blood. And, and we have some, you know, amazing. I can already see, you know, some of my new doctoral students and things that they're going to be great leaders in the field and they'll get involved, you know. But yeah, but I, I like it when it's down at the, you know, the uh, teaching level. They should get as, as involved as they possibly can at any time in their life. Um, and that changes. You, you know, know. Thinking about working in a vacuum, you know, with just your caseload of students, imagine if for the last 49 years you had just been working a small caseload and never learning or growing, you know, think of how much you would have missed. Absolutely. And this, you know, what I love about this field the most is that it is always changing and it's always, you know, different kinds of problems and kids and, you know, it just, um, even the day-to-day, you know, they, especially in an itinerant world, I mean, you're working, you know, one hour with a baby in a home, and the next hour you're doing geometry with a high school. I mean, it's just, there's yeah. so much variety. Like, if you teach in a classroom 
and you're just teaching math or whatever. I mean, it's pretty much you have a curriculum. It's the same thing every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you're you going through the curriculum. And it's, it's written for, I mean, you have to obviously be creative in how you, you know, teach it, the strategies you use to meet student needs. But I do think that, you know, our field has the opportunity to have a lot of variety, which for me, I always found interesting, you know, yeah. to keep change, changing it up and, and what I do. But yeah, no, I don't. I just don't think that's taking advantage of all the opportunities that our field has. And, and the organizations need you. They need yeah, people. You know, they really sure. do. They need the involvement. And the new blood. I love the new blood when we get people like that on a board. You know, it's yeah. it's just great. It's also good to have the history, but it's also good to have, you know, new ideas and young people. Yeah, you need both. Yeah. You do. You do. You really do. Well, um, then, then JVIB, yeah, I'll just make a comment yeah. about that because um, – I do volunteer. Well, I do that too, but I'm, um, beside being like a, you know, a, a reviewer through, through the years, I've always done that, but I've been an associate editor since, uh, 2017, uh, associate editor for practice. Um, so I don't, I have the articles that aren't at the high level research level. I, I, those are the ones that I manage, um, and have to find reviewers for and all that, but you know, I, it's really the only journal that's peer reviewed. That's, in our field that's, yeah. you know, got, that's got, especially that has research, um, as a big component of it. But, but I also like the practice articles where people have ideas and they want to share them and we're not just, you know, we, there's not a platform and I know AER is about to launch their own platform, but which I was involved in that too. The, the old, <laughs> I was a, a the new editor. review. No, yes. I'm not on the new review, but I was on oh. uh, insight, which was after the old review. Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, just all evolved, as you know, over yeah. time. But I'm, I mean, there's never, there's never, in my opinion, too many journals in our field. No, so few. definitely. <laughs> need yeah. to have some opportunities for more people to share. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are the only questions I have for you, Rona. Was there anything else you wanted to share about Texas Tech or anything else? Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that we also have a deafblind um, program there. Yeah. Um, so we right now it's just a graduate certificate, um, which is like a expertise area in the field of deafblindness, and um, it's it's like a you can either get the five courses or you can get a master's of concentration in deafblindness. But we don't we don't have at this point a state teacher certification. Right. For, um, teachers of students who are deafblind, but we are in the works of getting that, as you know. Um, so, you know, the standards have been written, the tests are being written. And I was involved in the beginning of that. I've kind of backed out of that because it, it intersected with TAER conference and that was a little much in one year. Um, but, uh, that is, I, I predict within, you know, a year and a half to two years that that's going to be an option in our state. And, and I know there's a lot of interest in that specialty area. Um, so hopefully, yeah, then uh, that people will start uh, right now. Texas Tech is the only deafblind program in the state. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping that will grow um, as we get the teacher certification because there's a lot of people that want to add that on. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. 
Those of us working in the education of students who are blind, low vision, or deafblind are the best recruiters into our field. We see a stellar classroom teacher or ambitious instructional aide or maybe even a curious family member of one of our students, and we immediately share about how much we love our jobs. People like Rona educate our recruits, and we all benefit, including students, by having dedicated people like her. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and Ascent of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.